0: In 2013, I spoke with Andrew Yang, who was the CEO of Venture for America at the time. He was at his office and multitasking during our interview, so you'll hear some background noise and typing in the background. At the time, he talked about being invited to the White House, amongst several other things. Who would have predicted that a few years later he would be running as a Democrat for the 2020 U.S. presidential election? Many now know him as the presidential candidate who proposed something called the Freedom Dividend. With the 2020 U.S. presidential elections still unfolding, I thought this would be a good time to share this interview that I did with him. Here is that episode. You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. Welcome to the Talking Taiwan podcast. This is your host, Felicia Lin, and our guest today is Andrew Yang, the CEO and founder of Venture for America, which he started in 2011. Venture for America is a nonprofit organization that selects new college graduates and sets them up in a two year fellowship where they work at startups. The catch is that these startups are in cities that aren't usual magnets for young college grads. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: The way that we met actually was at uh, the Entrepreneur Challenge and Competition, which was uh, hosted by the Taiwanese American Professionals in New York last month. And so can you talk a little bit about your connection to the ECC and the Taiwanese community?
1: Sure. Uh, I was originally pushed by Bob Wu a number of years ago about helping out with the Taiwanese American Professionals Organization in New York, and uh, I had a number of friends and acquaintances who were involved with the organization, so it's happy to lend a hand.
0: You were you were born in the States, or?
1: Yeah, I was born in Upstate New York.
0: Yeah, and your parents are from Taiwan, then, or?
1: Yes, my parents were from Taiwan and uh, came over for school in the sixties.
0: I'm really fascinated by the whole idea of venture for America and where the idea came from. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Graduated from Brown back in the mid '90s and wasn't sure what to do, and so I, I went to law school, uh, which, for me at least, didn't actually help clarify my direction that much. And so I, I wound up working for a corporate law firm here in New York that um, also didn't feel like the right fit. So I left to start a company. Uh, That company raised some money and and got a lot of press, but didn't go very far when the dot-com bubble burst. And so uh, I wound up working for a series of other companies and then became the CEO of an education company called Manhattan GMAT, now Manhattan Prep. Uh, and uh, during all, all of these experiences, which spanned over a decade, um, I saw firsthand that there were a lot of very smart, ambitious, well-educated young people that weren't quite sure what to do with themselves professionally. Uh, and so uh, from that and also seeing how hard it was to build a business from the ground up, I realized that everyone would benefit if we had a program that helped connect recent college graduates with startup companies that needed that kind of talent and energy to thrive and grow and potentially hire more people.
0: Right. Um, and so you started this in 2011 and also in that same year uh, you were named champion of change by the White House. Um, so that's that's quite an accomplishment. Can you tell me a little bit about that and like what was it like? going to the White House, and how did they hear about you?
1: Um, They heard about me through some press that we'd gotten associated with our launch in 2011, and it was a great experience going to the White House. It was much like visiting a movie set. Mm -hmm. I went in and saw some Secret Service agents and and met the President and uh, talked to him about Venture for America for a solid 10-15 minutes.
0: So, I mean, how do you even start something like this? I mean, it's... I can't even imagine how you start an organization like this and get everything all set up?
1: Well, it's very kind of you to say, I had some experience over the previous number of years. I'd started a couple of companies, uh, and I'd run an education company, and so I had a clearer sense of what it would take to uh, build something like this. I also had worked as as a fundraising board member for a charter school nonprofit, and so really it's the sum total of, I'd say, a number of experiences, but the, the single biggest way you learn is by doing. And so, really, if, if you wanted to build one of these organizations, uh, the best thing to do is to try and do so, and then you'd learn a lot along the way.
0: Right, and so what 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 do you, what would you say are the major challenges that you face in setting, setting everything up?
1: Well, I, I think, it can be both uh, overestimated and un- underestimated, but uh, the single biggest challenge is raising money. You know, and that's what happens with a lot of companies, and a lot of nonprofits. That if you want to start an organization, you're going to need some resources, and it's very hard to get people to commit resources to something brand new. So that was our biggest challenge early on.
0: And so, do you think the organization today is the way that you you imagined it to be when you started out?
1: Yeah, you know, you, you can never really imagine clearly how things are going to go before the facts. But now that we're here, things are, if anything, better than I would have imagined. It's, it's been a tremendous first couple of years, that's for sure.
0: And um, I understand that Venture America follows a similar model to Teach for America. Could you talk a little bit about how there's similarities and differences between Venture for America and Teach for America?
1: sure so we owe a great deal to Teach for America in terms of demonstrating that young smart people are willing to do something positive and pro-social that helps them both develop and contribute uh, without getting paid a lot right out of the gate and so a lot of the things that venture for America takes for granted are built on the 20 plus years of experience that Teach for America has established. Um, But it's very different in the terms of the actual activities, since our fellows are obviously not teaching underprivileged kids, Uh, they're instead working at startup companies trying to help them grow.
0: And what cities is Venture for America in now, and where are you planning to be in in the future?
1: Right now we're in Detroit, New Orleans, Providence, Cincinnati, Las Vegas, expanded this year to Baltimore, Cleveland, and Philadelphia. And we're actively considering St. Louis, Kansas City, San Antonio, and Pittsburgh for next year.
0: What kinds of startup companies does Venture for America work with? I understand like, there's a pretty broad range.
1: Yeah, I'd say 75% of them are so are tech companies. Uh-huh. And that's in part because those are where our networks lie, but it's also in part because those companies are often more willing to commit resources to onboard talent that hasn't yet been super experienced right. but has a very high ceiling. So the majority of the companies we work with are in technology, either internet or renewables or biotech or something along those lines. Yeah.
0: I mentioned a little bit about the boot camp. You put the, your fellows through a boot camp before you actually place them to start a, um, for a two-year cycle. Could you talk about the boot camp, like how long does it last and what exactly do you teach people? Like, What are some of the skills that you think you need to teach someone, you know, across different industries to prepare them to go into a startup?
1: Well, one of the things that we hold is that if you're very good at something, uh, that probably means you can be good at other things too. So training camp is about trying to inculcate the determination and confidence that if you don't know how to do something, you can figure it out with uh, a little bit of elbow grease, uh, and investment of time.
0: How long does the boot camp actually last?
1: So the the boot camp lasts for five weeks, beginning to end, mid June to mid July.
0: So how many Venture for America Fellows do you currently have, and what would you say is your target number that you're striving for? Well,
1: if you look at the different facets of what we do. On one side, you have the talent. So how many enterprising, smart, recent college graduates are there that want to learn how to build a business or grow a startup? And uh, that number is very high, I think most anyone would agree. Yeah. And then you ask, how many promising growth companies are there in Detroit, St. Louis, Baltimore, Cleveland, Philadelphia, etc., cetera, et cetera, around the country? Right. That, num- that number is also very high, so we think that the potential for uh, value creation is extraordinarily high and we're looking to meet that need so what that ideal number is it's hard to say but it's certainly higher than what we have right now
0: <laughs> yeah and what, what how many fellows do you have right now it's like a, a little over 100 or
1: we have 109 right now
0: actually you probably just had your first uh, fellows finish their two-year cycle so what have some of these people gone on to do after they completed the two years
1: um well the, the two-year cycle actually ends for the first time on uh, uh, in the spring, so no one's done yet, but they've done a they've done a lot of really great stuff though. Many of them um, between it's uh, so some of them have already started raising money for different businesses or nonprofits that they're working on. For example, a number of them raised money to buy and rehab a house in Detroit that's going to be used for fellow housing. Uh, so it's early yet, but we're very excited, we're very optimistic. Uh, Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, actually agreed to join our investment council just last week, and so uh, he's going to be one of the people that's going to help fuel the success of the fellows.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Congratulations on that. Um, So what would you say for you personally have been some of the highlights so far of being involved with uh, Vector for America?
1: Well, it's really been getting to know all of these amazing people uh, and seeing the support
0: well, materialize
1: around the organization I over the last couple of years. You know, I, I have friends all over the country now. I did not have when I was starting this process, and, and, and that's been the best part of building it.
0: And uh, I imagine I can see how busy you are. What is what is the most challenging thing about running an organization like this?
1: You know, I'd say it's around prioritization because there's always stuff to do and you have to figure out what's going to drive the organization on a given day. You also have to find ways to stay personally vital and energized um, because, you know, your your personal life um, should always be an extraordinarily important component of, uh, of how you budget your time. And if you run an organization like this, uh, your time becomes very precious.
0: Right. Absolutely. So what is it that... Motivates you and keeps you going.
1: Well, in our case, you know, there are 109 young people who are excited about what they're doing, um, and I'm passionate about building this organization in particular because I experienced the problem firsthand, right. where there are very smart people who aren't having their energies properly utilized, uh, and it, it, it's hurting our economy. It's hurting yes, them individually. It's hurting the companies that they could be helping. Um, so. I'm I just really dedicated to solving this problem and you know to me 109 is like just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. So for you personally, do you have a role model or an entrepreneur or somebody that you look up to or you consider influential?
1: You know, I've had the chance to meet a number of role models and I've gotten new role models uh, during this time. But when you do something, I think one thing you want to do is you want to try and figure out who's been successful at what you're doing and then try and follow in their footsteps. So uh, I hadn't started a nonprofit before, Venture for America. So now I look at people like Scott Harrison, who founded Charity Water, and Charles Best, who founded Donors Choose, and I look up to them as role models uh, who've been very successful on this path.
0: You know, it's really interesting to me, I'm always interested in the entrepreneur space myself. I'm not not—I'm not exactly an entrepreneur, but being a writer, I feel you have to have that mindset in a way. There are a lot of people out there trying to bootstrap or entrepreneurs, people who have ideas, trying to make things happen and a lot of people who are struggling entrepreneurs and then there are successful entrepreneurs. What do you think sets someone apart from being a struggling entrepreneur to becoming a successful entrepreneur?
1: You know, uh, I, like, I think I've been both. I've certainly been the struggling kind. And I guess by some measure people would say I've been the successful kind. So, I think a, a lot of it is really just what iteration someone is at. So, if you come and looked at me ten years ago, you would have thought one thing, and then you come now and you think another thing, and you think ten years from now, it's probably something different. So the difference between a struggling entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur really is how many bites they've had at the Apple a lot of the time. I mean, uh, you look at most any success story, you know, Bill Gates started a failed company before Microsoft. So if you found him at that moment, you'd be like, huh, he's a struggling entrepreneur and then obviously became one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. So uh, I think one of the big uh, misconceptions people have is that entrepreneurs are somehow magically able to do this when they get better over time. I've certainly gotten a lot better over time. Uh, you know, so if someone's struggling, they can get better.
0: Right, right. So it may be a number of factors, like your experience, what level you're at, where your business is at, you know, interesting.
1: No, I, I think there's one single trait that's helpful. It's a sense of grit. I think that's been actually been uh, shown to be the main factor in a lot of other paths, too where if if someone needs positive reinforcement all the time then entrepreneurship is probably not the greatest thing because most of the enforcement you get is actually not very positive.
0: (laughs) That's interesting. I think there was a TED talk by somebody who actually did a study on something called grit and saying that was like actually a success factor for people. It's interesting that you bring it up. I don't know if you've uh, seen that or heard that.
1: Yeah, I, I did see it and it was something I agreed with.
0: Yeah. So. What advice do you have for somebody specifically who wants to build a community-based organization?
1: Well, I, I think uh, the key is to talk to as many people as possible. And then if you find someone who's enthusiastic, to sign them up to become your champion. Because uh, people will want to help you as long as you, know, you have a, a good idea. Most people are walking around waiting to be enlisted. You know, it's, it's the way most philanthropy works. If you think about it, the, way most, like, the way you probably donate... Uh, I'll just describe myself. So it, I was just doing my thing, and then someone's like, hey, donate to this cause. And then because they asked you, then you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just need to get out there and ask enough people, and you will find the right ones.
0: Yeah. Do you think that building a business is similar then?
1: Yeah, very much so. Though the business has an advantage that after you develop a product or service, you can uh, really... Add value to someone's life in a way that doesn't require like a lot of relationship-intensive stuff. You know, like if I'm selling umbrellas on the street because it's a rainy day, um, you don't need to know me that well to buy that umbrella. So there, there's a, after you get a business going, it's actually in some ways easier to maintain than a community-based organization because it starts to feed itself.
0: So what do you think is the future direction for venture for America?
1: Well, I think we need to get bigger and better what we're doing right now. Uh, I I believe very much in focus, uh, and so uh, it's about getting more resources in place to build a better organization to be able to get more opportunities to top college graduates to help these cities become more robust economically, uh, and to provide choices really to our young people. So you know, there's nothing game changing beyond uh, hopefully ma- building on what we've currently. Uh, Been successful at.
0: Great, and um, I understand that you have a book that's coming out early next year called "Smart People Should Build Things." Could you talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Sure. So the the book, in some ways, details a progression that I think a lot of Taiwanese people would be very interested in, um, which is that you get educated, and then you get a good job. And then sometimes the good job is not precisely what you want to do for a very long period of time. And and the book makes the argument that it could also be that that good job is not really the best thing you could be doing uh, for not just yourself, but for everyone else too. Where, hopefully, if you're in a position to build something, then you can be more energized by what you're doing professionally, and also you're able to construct something that uh, makes a difference in people's lives. At least, and I was contrasting it with my time as a an attorney, which mm-hmm. um, which is something that I'd imagine a lot of Taiwanese people uh, probably um, pursued professionally because you know, like Taiwanese people like to get educated, and so you know, you go to law school like I did, and then you become a lawyer. Right. Um, and so the the books about other factors that make uh, a role enjoyable, it it goes through what highly educated people are doing right now and how they're converging in just a few industries and a few places. And then it talks about some of the things that you were asking about earlier about how you go about building an organization. And so uh, I go through how Venture for America got started and then I lay the groundwork for why Venture for America is an important uh, potential path for young people. Um, but also that there are other things that we need to do. So it's not that venture from America is somehow like the magic bullet, that there are a number of things that would make our country, the U.S., more productive and a lot of people happier and more fulfilled in their careers. But that book is coming out next February, February 4th, uh, published by HarperCollins. It's available for pre-order right now on uh, Amazon. So if you just Google, smart people should build things, then it it pops up on Amazon.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely very interesting. A lot of people are talking about this, like, you know, Seth Godin different people write about how, you know, maybe the education system or like, you know, what we consider like a traditional career path is, you know, we need to think out of the box, you know, where that's concerned these days. Especially with the way that the economy is and, you know, so much uncertainty with people's job security. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, I really appreciate it, I appreciate that, I know how busy you are. Is there anything you'd like to say before we close that we didn't cover?
1: Sure. Uh, so I grew up in New York State and I hadn't been to Taiwan that much up to a certain point. I went to Chinese school and, like, my, my family was very Taiwanese. My parents are actually, like, native Taiwanese. like. We'll go way back. My dad grew up on a farm in Taiwan that I visited for the first time a number of years ago. And then uh, my relationship with Taiwan changed about eight years ago when my parents moved back there. Uh, and so they moved to a suburb of Taipei. And I, I visited them every holiday for the last uh, seven years until I had a son this past, uh, this past year. So we didn't go back because, you know, with a baby, it's a little harder to fly um, 18 hours. But it's really come clear to me how remarkable. Uh, Taiwan has been in, the, in terms of human history, developing an industrialized democracy without that much in the way of natural resources, because most of the land is kind of mountainous and not super
0: uh, Yeah, yeah, it's like three quarters mountainous.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it, and, uh, and yet it's an industrialized democracy, it's a very um, robust and thriving economy uh, and, you know, there's I think there was some saying about how if you throw a rock in Taiwan, you're, you'll hit a CEO or founder, like it's a very it's a very entrepreneurial yeah. culture um, and so one of the things that interests me is seeing how that culture plays out in the U.S. Um, you know, with, with my brother and my Taiwanese friends um, and people like Tony Shea and, and Jeremy Lin and uh, other people. Like, it, it's, it's really entertaining to me to see how, how our culture intersects with... Uh, our adopted homeland now since obviously I was, I was born in the U.S. and my kids are going to grow up here in the U.S. So uh, it's, it's something I've become increasingly excited about and proud of is, is uh, trying to uh, support the Taiwanese American community and embracing their identity not just for myself but for my family.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it is very interesting when you look at Taiwan. It's, there's such an entrepreneurial spirit there when you go back to the island. And if you think about like the economic development, you know a lot of you owe a lot of it, I think, to the small business owners and the you know the people themselves are building that. And, you know that that's a huge contribution to the economic miracle of Taiwan in the 80s. Yeah, it's
1: it's amazing stuff. It's a lot of fun to visit too, as you know. I mean, do you head back there often?
0: Um, I actually lived in Taiwan for six years, um, but I haven't been back recently. I'm hoping to go back a, then this year, beginning of next year. Well, if you
1: have lived there six years, you know it better than most anyone. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least yeah. Most
1: anyone who just visits, like me.
0: Thank you so much for your time again, and look for Andrew Yang's new book, which is coming out next year, called Smart People Should Build Things. It's available on Amazon.com. Thank you so much, Andrew. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Felicia. Have a great night.
0: Okay, you too. Take care. I've been speaking with Andrew Yang, the CEO and founder of Venture for America. To learn more about Venture for America, visit VentureForAmerica.org. And for any links to items mentioned in this episode, please visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.